the rest of my life, girl. Yeah, what we got's all I need, and every day's a dream when I'm carrying your love with me. So Frank, you've um, I guess we've come we've come to know you like a lot of these relationships in West Virginia. A lot of the folks that are maybe we'll call them on the front lines of uh, advancing West Virginia forward. I think the first place of introductions often maybe on LinkedIn or Twitter, um, with folks updating each other on the neat projects that they're doing in West Virginia. And I believe that's how we first stumbled into your work. And I've seen you on a couple of different groups and organizations and whatnot. But then we did get the chance to connect up at Bridging Innovation, and then since then I've kind of learned a lot more about. Uh, what you're up to. So first of all, welcome to the podcast. And then we're excited to kind of dive into the work that you do in West Virginia. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I've enjoyed uh, watching you all grow and and uh, you've had excellent uh, hosts. Uh, must be slow a slow day to have me on, but uh, but I appreciate <laughs> the opportunity. But you've, you've really, uh, you know, sprung ahead, if you will, into, into a leadership role within the state and shining a, a you know, positive light on the good things that we're doing. I think you're, you're challenging us too. And I hope we get into that a little bit in the podcast, but just challenging all of us to do better. And I think there's, there's room to do better. And so, uh, that hopefully I'm, I'm able to contribute some myself, but that's certainly uh, my goal. You certainly are. I think it's almost the way I see it too, is I like what you said, like we challenge other people to do better. I almost like seeing, like when we celebrate these West Virginians on here and the work that they, they do, it, it hopefully it's kind of like a little bit like quasi of a, like an unspoken challenge, but also like a, um, just a positive, like, like nudge that, Hey, look, like other people are doing this. It's like a little bit of motivation. It's like, Oh, look at this person. They're doing this cool, neat project or business or philanthropy, uh, you know, philanthropy effort or something. And it kind of motiv self motivates people that, wait a second, there are a lot of people that kind of have this, the same passion, the same energy, the same hopeful outlook for West Virginia. So, um, and that's something that you resonate with. And that's something I think I see through all your businesses. Maybe we can start for the audience to maybe understand Forge Business Solutions. You're the CEO of it. It's a business consultancy agency. I think you're based out of Morgantown. Um, maybe talk a little bit about a little bit about that. What kind of work are you doing with small businesses in West Virginia? Yeah. So, uh, you know, like all of our journeys, they they start somewhere. Right. And and so so mine you know, emanates from you know, from wanting to do better for myself, you know, I had a very supportive family, but, um, but, you know, I lost my dad when I was, you know, just 10 years old and, and, uh, neither of my parents finished high school. And so, um, so while there was a lot of love and support in the household, certainly for my mother, um, I always just wanted to do better. And, uh, and I, and I, you know, surrounded myself as I continued today, many years later, I've, you know, I've always surrounded myself with people uh, who can help me to do better, challenge me, and and model for me um, better, you know, better behaviors and and, uh, and smart ways to work. And so, so I've been fortunate along along those lines. But um, but but in wanting to do better, what I realized is that that a rising tide lifts all ships. And so, if if I could do better for others, it would help me to do better. Um, if you know, if I worked harder, you know then then good things would come from that and and so i began a life of service to others um you know fairly early including enlisting in the army when i was 17 and so that has uh, been great you know it's it's given everything i've done in in the name of service has given back to me many folds greater than i've given it you know given out so um so yeah so just you know that that sort of led through my career uh and then i had a a 
you know, really, really great career both in banking and in the military. So, so how do you do both? Well, through mainly through the National Guard, you know, so, so separate from active duty service. Um, I served in the Army Reserves and the National Guard, West Virginia Army National Guard. And so, um, and so consequently, um, you know, that's been a big part of my life as well. And, and, uh, and the military has played a substantial role, not only in my early formation, but I went to a private military college called Valley Forge Military College and was president of the student body there, second you know, ranking uh, a cadet in the Corps. And so I learned so much from, from those experiences. It just exposed me to unbelievable leaders, right? Some of the greatest minds in the world uh, through the military. I would be surrounded I would, at times with, uh, you know, not only just really strong, strack people and leaders, but literally I'd have three, two, three, four star admirals and generals, you know, and I'm, I'm watching how they use their, their, their serving utensils and how they, <laughs> how, what their table manners are like and how they speak and, and their presence. And, you know, I, and I was just a sponge soaking it all up. And so, uh, so had a great early formation, um, uh, you know, due to some circumstances out of my control, but, but again, no pun intended, forging me into, into, into a leader for, for the future. And, and so, um, so, so, you know, I ended up in a banking career, you know, fast forward many years, ended up in a banking career with a startup bank, the fastest growing bank in the state of West Virginia. Uh, it was called Centra Bank at the time, which later sold to, to United Bank, which is, if, if your listeners don't know this, United Bank is the only Fortune 500 company headquartered in West Virginia. I didn't know that. So, oh, yeah. It's going to be, yeah. So, uh, and, and United Bank is actually a customer of Forges now, so it's kind of cool. Um, but, uh, but, you know, enjoy getting to know and work with businesses through, you know, personal mortgage lending, also commercial lending. And I was seeing businesses, you know, come for, you know, for financial support that didn't have a good business plan. You know, they were really good at what they were doing, but they didn't, they weren't able to articulate their strengths, their value proposition, and let alone bringing their, their prospectus and, and they're you know demonstrating their financial wherewithal and and um, and their competitor analysis and industry analysis. They just didn't have those things, and 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 uh, so I was having to to decline them, you know, at times, you know, for for loans and so forth. So I thought, well, I'd really like to help them and not just turn them away. How, you know, how can I do that? And so I got this idea in 2016, 2015, 16. I started thinking about, you know, starting Forge and um, and and Forge. I got that name from from Valley Forge Military College where I went. So, and forging relationships is is the the single greatest uh, uh, you know sort of multiplier uh, behavior that I've had in my life. You know, just building relationships, and and those relationships have have made me into who I am today. So, uh, so so started Forge. Uh, uh, you know, eventually would do that, but but first I, I went over to a company called KeyLogic Systems. Uh, in in Morgantown here, and, and worked for uh, for John Hammock and 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 his group there, and I learned a lot in in a short period of time. And then, as promised, I went on to start Forge. And uh, but the the experience that I had at KeyLogic would come back around and help really develop our the, the core of who we are today, and that's providing strategy primarily for small federal contractors. And I can talk more about that if that's if that's appropriate. How did your 
military background end up guiding you maybe more than somebody that was outside of the military? I I say that because I, I know that in the past you've maybe been quoted or maybe it was a biograph a biographical comment that you had made previously just about becoming an army captain was one of the greatest accomplishments of your life. I, I think that was right, right? Or it was up there. But like, how, what, what about that distinction in your time in the military kind of led you up to now? Because there is like this, like you'd said, there's a level, there, there, there's a group of people in the military that serve in the military that when they exit, they're just these extreme leaders, these extreme strategists. Like, what is it that you learn in the military that maybe you don't get in just like a traditional classroom that does help you end up succeeding in whatever industry or whatever sector? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. And and I have been quoted of saying my, my greatest professional accomplishment was when I was, you know, when, when I was promoted to captain. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's simply because that's, that's all I ever really wanted to be. When I was a 17 year old, you know, E1 private, you know, enlisted in the army, I, I would see those captain's bars, you know, and I was like, oh, those are cool. Yeah. And, and, and a captain, um, it commands a company, you know, commands a military company, which is in a battalion, which is in a brigade. And so, um, but it, but a captain shoulders many, you know, a great deal of responsibility, the burden of, of, of responsibility. So, so for me, it was, it was just a, an honor of my life to, to, to become a captain, a sense of accomplishment, but also a genesis, a, a beginning of, of a, of a different level of, of leadership journey. And, and I guess in part, um, at, at no fault of, of my, you know, my family, um, I just didn't believe I, I could do much with my life early on. You know, I didn't see it. I, I didn't see it. It wasn't really modeled for me that, that I could have, you know, I could have a better life. Um, people, you know, folks believed in me, but I just didn't see it for myself. Let, you know, put it that way. And, and, you know, when, when we have tests in our life, in our lives, right. When we're tested that, and our metal gets tested, that's when we start to build that confidence. You know, I think about, about, you know, in the army and I'm sure other, other entities have, and they have these confidence courses they're called, you know, it's, they're like gauntlets. It's where you, you know, climb telephone poles and, you know, and you do crazy things or elbow crawl through the mud and all that. Those are often referred to as confidence courses. Mm-hmm. And if you think about that, it's because that test builds confidence, right? That test, you know, when you pass that test, then, then now you've got, you've got a new foundation, yeah. right? And you're building that foundation. So I think, you know, for me, you know, the, the army gave me that first test and helped me build that confidence that I, I could, I could want more for myself. And I, that I could actually do more for myself and others. And it also gave me that service entity to be able to serve others, to be able to put my life in someone else's hands and ask them to put their life in my hands and what that meant. And that, you know, only 1% of, of the United States population serves in the military. And so um, not that that's everything. I have, I'd, I'd put my lives in many hands that have never served in the military, but but they have that, you know, that sense of, of um uh, of commitment to one another, you know, and, and, and I'm around good people that, you know, you don't have to serve in the military. I want to be very, very clear about that. But for me, that was a, an important component of my development. Let me try and take that even a step farther. Um, what is it about that 1% that when you do come out of it and, and we've kind of hit on this a little bit about the leadership aspect, but 
even trying to dig deeper into just like what it is that you are being educated on inside the military. Whenever there is an a national, international issue. I mean, West Virginia during COVID turned to the National Guard and the National Guard kind of saved the day. But there was a reason that the state turned to the National Guard and really any military expertise, you know, is, is going to be trusted as a valuable source of information. So like what even going deeper than what we were just talking about, what is it that is going, you know, that, that the military is teaching people or that people are doing to to come out with confidence, but then also kind of have the answers, if that makes sense, for lack of a better way to put it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's a great, you know, kind of observation. And I think it's it's sense of mission. So, and I and I, I would put this out there for, I can't speak for others, but I would say anybody that has that military experience, um, and we're all, we all operate individually and differently, and some walk away and say that my, you know, their military experience wasn't good, you know, and some, for me, it was great. It just depends, right? But what we all get and what I think makes hiring veterans, and I, I, I spent a lot of my resources, uh, we just announced another another webinar today for veteran entrepreneurs. I spent a lot of time giving back to the veteran community. What I, th- why I, think, makes, what I think makes veterans so strong uh, when it comes to hiring, you know, you, know, you know, wanting them in your workforce is this sense of, of mission-oriented, you know, being mission-oriented. You know, we understand no matter what you do, you could be a mechanic that that fixes military vehicles. You could be a nurse in the in the in the combat health support hospital. You could be um, an air traffic control. You could be anything. You could be a um, wh- whatever you want to be. We all have a mission. Mm-hmm. All have a mission, and that mission rolls up into an even greater mission, and an even greater mission. You know, it, it it's unfortunate that we've gotten so political today, but but, you know, during my early training, I mean, it never mattered who the president was and what the party was. You, that was your commander in chief. And even today, I highly respect my commander in chief, no matter who that person is, no matter what party they're from, and even no matter what their party ideology is. The reality of it is, is that they're the commander in chief. And that's just that sense of military mission. And I don't care if you're in the Air Force, the Marines, whatever your branch, whatever your background. I think we all get that that sense of mission because we have to be mission focused, right? Because otherwise you've got, you know, you've got bullets and you've got different things flying. And if you're not mission focused, then you get distracted, you know, you know, with all of the things happening around you. So I, I think that's a very, very powerful component. I think it's too, it's no surprise that veterans translate well to the world of entrepreneurship because of dealing with the ambiguity of entrepreneurship, right? Like you might plan like, all right, we're going to do this plan. It's going to be sunny. It's going to be sunny. Then all of a sudden it's rainy. Instead of like a veteran's going to see that big, okay, great. It's rainy. Now, now we're going to do X, Y, Z. They're not going to sit there and be like, oh, oh no, it's not like according to plan. Like a, a, good, the, a lot of the veterans that I've worked with and have been, um, you know, fellow employees with, it's just that quick pivot of like, here's a problem, problem identification, but then also solution oriented language after we identify the problem. So I think that's why from an outside perspective, of course, someone who's not a veteran or in that community, why I think they thrive in entrepreneurship because daily, as you know, Frank, as an entrepreneur, you get hit with dumpster fire after dumpster fire, after change, after pivot, after different things. And you kind of got to, you got to bounce around and keep moving forward. Like you said, that sense of mission. Um, So I kind of want to speak maybe more about the initiative, the veteran entrepreneurship initiatives um, that you work on and have supported and 
maybe if you think West Virginia is a good place for entrepreneurs to start a business, um, is there more opportunity for them to come here post uh, their military careers or their programs, whether that's financing or support programs or organizational type stuff? Um, so maybe we'd love to hear some specifics on that if you think this state is kind of well set up to facilitate these uh, veteran entrepreneurs. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, first of all, you know, West Virginia, 5.4% of all of our businesses in West Virginia are better known. So so when you think about that, I mean, that, that, that's pretty substantial. Um, and and so that's a little over a thousand to give to give the listening audience. Okay. About 1,200 businesses uh, are, are considered to be veteran known. And there are a lot of veterans who own businesses that don't disclose that, that information for, for a variety of reasons. Sure. Um, I think uh, I think West Virginia is a great state uh, to start a business if you're a veteran. Um, and by the way, Forge is service disabled veteran owned small business certified by the SBA. So um, and and we're also a, a veteran business enterprise um, certified by Navoba, which is the National Veteran Owned Business Association. So um, so not only do we have those designations, but we try to give back to the veteran, you know, to the veteran community. And um, and so I think West Virginia is a great place if you're a veteran to start a veteran owned business because our state is very supportive of veteran owned businesses and veterans in general. Right. So, you know, uh, our our current governor, Governor Justice, has has developed initiatives regarding uh, taxes you know, that would benefit veterans if they come back to live here um, Our our uh, um Secretary of State has developed programs that allow for veteran-owned businesses to have free business registration through the state. So there are all kinds of of initiatives out there, and many many other benefits. Working with our major universities, Marshall, WVU, and others, programs that are out out there provided to support these veteran-owned businesses. So I think West Virginia is a great place to start because there's a high level of support, and many people, leaders like yourselves are interested in supporting those better known businesses and helping them get started and be successful. I like it. I like it. I mean, I think it, I think it aligns. I think with the West Virginia culture of supporting, you know, like you said, a commitment to service, family, patriotism, you know, community, a lot of these values translate back and forth between veterans and just West Virginians in general. So I can see that, um, you know, thriving well. Um, Frank, something that you recently did that we unfortunately couldn't be a part of, we were coming off the hangover of the almost seven class we're following it, which is Tech Yeah, um, which was a great conference that got a lot of folks, business leaders, innovators, and folks um, in West Virginia together for a conference. Um, I believe you uh, were the panel host for one of the discussions up there. Maybe talk a little bit about some of the the takeaways that you had from that discussion up there. I saw you with Sarah Biller, who we had on our panel um, at the Almost Seven Classic, who's a great West Virginia leader. But maybe what were some of the takeaways and stuff that you kind of left that conference with in West Virginia that you're optimistic about? Yeah, uh, it, it was very, very successful um, in 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 many ways, but but probably no more in no more of an important way than than what's important to you is connectivity, right? So so when we bring people together, when we bring West Virginians together, and we're all rowing in the same direction. Amazing things happen, and in the case of Tech, yeah, we brought. We brought folks from all across the country that are involved in technology with a heavy emphasis on engaging and or working with the federal government. And we even had agency representatives from federal agencies out of D.C. come 
come to the conference. So why is that important? Well, our tech companies in, in, in West Virginia get to hear what the federal government, what kind of services and products and so forth that they're looking for. And then they get to hear from our companies on what our capabilities are and what problems we can fix and, and resolve. And so when you bring that confluence together, what you get is a, a recognition that West Virginia is a player and a recognition that we can help solve not only problems in West Virginia, not only in the region, Appalachia, et cetera, but across the nation and even globally. And so, you know, one of the things that we don't do gr a great job of in West Virginia is promoting ourselves. And that's why I'm so thankful for this podcast, because we have to tell our story. We have to demonstrate our strengths and our capabilities. So the panel that I was honored to host was around economic diversity. And so, you know, what that means to me and in context of this of this panel is how do we diversify our economy with different kinds of businesses? And yes, certainly a personal diversity too. We, we want to become a more diverse population. I think we're stronger when we're more diverse. We have diversity of ideas. We have diversity of background, uh, even economic diversity coming together from different economic uh, uh, components. So but we talked about how do we attract more particularly tech companies in the context of this conversation to West Virginia, given our how proximal we are to the most of the nation's population, but in particular the the you know, the federal anchors. You know, and we ha we do have a few anchors in the area, particularly down at the High Tech Foundation in Marion County, uh, here at NETL, the National Energy Technology Laboratory, uh, under the Department of Energy here in Morgantown. So we, we do have those, but we certainly want to demonstrate our strengths in a way where decision makers can say, you know what, we need to go to West Virginia for some solutions. Uh, having Speaker Hanshaw there, our, our Speaker of the House, was great, and, and Jim Estep from the High Tech Foundation, uh, as well as Mike Graney from the state, uh, uh, you know, who, you know, the, their job is to help drive, you know, economic development in our state. Here's the biggest takeaway from from these, from, from Techia for sure, but from any sort of event or conference where we can attract people to come in and hear from West Virginians, the biggest, in my opinion, takeaway is that they see how we're working together. You see, and, and, you know, I probably can't make a greater point on this podcast than to say it is imperative to our success and our growth in West Virginia that we actually collaborate and work together and make sure we're doing everything we can to not allow competition to deter us from all growing together. Because uh, others are looking, others are watching. Um, you know, I was chairman of the board of the Chamber of Commerce here, uh, which is now known as the Morgantown Area Partnership. And I, I was two-term chairman and I, I served on that board for about 10 years. And it's funny, we're, if you know the area, you'll know. We're just now getting the mile ground in Morgantown. Hey, my, it's open, so I hear. <laughs> it's, open. it's open. And and 10 years ago, you know, with other people, of course, I was working on this project. And I remember the then head of the Department of Highways in Charleston said, you know, he said, you, if you all could just make up your mind what you wanted, we could get this thing done sooner. Ouch. I say I back 
And I say that anecdotally in that sometimes, you know, we, you know, we are a small, smaller state, 1.8 million. And as, as Dr. President Gee likes to say, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're big enough to have all the problems, but small enough to, to, to solve them. And I believe that, but, but we have to work together and, and people from outside of our state that are considering investment in the mountain state, it really goes a long way, and I've heard them say this, when they see West Virginians working together and not against ourselves. Um, and, and and we have to be careful about that. You know, I, I, I think that's a challenge for us sometimes. You know, when you're in an environment where it seems like you're competing for the crumbs, right, and instead of the whole cookie, uh, if you will, I think it can get competitive. And and we have to be careful to to really understand that it's we're just better together. And I know that sounds maybe a bit cliche, but but it was something that was said to me at the Techia conference that, you know, they, you know, the folks that visited here, they liked seeing that we had our speaker of the house here. You don't see that everywhere. And they liked, you know, seeing that we had Sarah Biller, who's nationally known and and so forth. So I, I think you had that at the, at the Almost Heaven Classic. You know, I, I saw a, a great cross section of population and folks really excited about working together. So. So that's the the most important, you know, thing that that I'd like to leave the audience with today is is you know just find a way, find common ground in your in your space, in your ecosystem, on your community street, in your neighborhood, whatever it is, find a way to complement what others are doing when you can and and let's let's grow together. Yeah. I think that's all well said too and and obviously if you're scrapping for crumbs, that's not never a good spot to be in, but there is a level of healthy competition that you definitely want to. You don't want everything going to North Central West Virginia. You don't want everything coming to Charleston. You don't want everything going to Southern West Virginia. You definitely do want it spread out. But when all three of those areas of their state are competitive in terms of attracting companies, businesses, tech, whatever it is, that is, I think, the ideal situation to be in. And West Virginia, I don't think is there yet. But the point I think that you were just hitting, you know, there is like no I in team. It is kind of like this idea of West Virginia. It doesn't matter where it is right now, where these companies are coming in. It's a win for the state and the state is recognizing that. And so I think that's well said. And I think that's, I think people are really beginning to agree with that more and more that uh, the the level of attention that West Virginia is getting is getting as better as for a whole. It's not just one specific area that people are going to or moving to or talking about. It's, it's the state as a whole, which is kind of a breath of fresh air compared to what yeah. we've seen historically or within the last two decades or so. Say, I sit on, I have the privilege of sitting on the board of directors for Country Roads Angel Network uh, with, with Kevin Coombs and, and that group. And, um, and, and, you know, our, our approach is to, is to provide, you know, early stage funding, you know, across the state, you know, across the state. Um, and so, you know, when I think about, you know, the concept of tech, yeah, you know, I, I just wonder if there's something we could do to share capabilities across with the different sections of the state of West Virginia. For example, I, d I don't, I admittedly, I don't know other companies like ours that we could collaborate with potentially in the southern part of the state. I don't know. I bet they're there, but I don't know. And I think, uh, you know, the, the Almost Heaven Classic, you know, that's probably a good, a good start off, right, to bringing those companies together. But I could envision at some point, you know, being able to to maybe gather folks around and share our capabilities 
and so that we could look for opportunities, as I like to refer to it and what we do for our clients, teaming to win. You know, if we could figure out how to team to win things, whether those be federal contracts or those be other outside commercial investments, whether that be uh, nonprofit grants and so forth, if we could find ways to team to win, I think I think that might be a value. And I like, Frank, what you spoke about, the diversity, like the economic diversity too, because I think some, like the the whole tours, I mean, I just was kind of having this idea and I'm going to tease it out live on air like I do. So sometimes it doesn't come out fully formed, but the the, the tourism economy in West Virginia, right? It, it is a blessing. We do have natural wonders that we can capitalize on. We have the most white water, I believe, like in the country and you have the rock climbing and you have the tremendous outdoors, backpacking, the camping, and all that is great business. But with that comes, at, there's, there's risk when you have a tourism-based economy. If the gas prices change, that directly impacts how many people do road trips. If different trends, housing rate, interest rates, second homes, that sort of thing, you've got local issues getting priced out. Potentially, what we don't want to happen to Fayetteville is that every local in Fayetteville gets priced out because of the new River Gorge. It's a blessing that we have the new national park, but you, there is economic kind of risks with overdevelopment when you base an economy around tourism. So what I like is that Country Road Jagel Network and the folks up at um, Vantage Ventures and Sarah and then on your panel is that in tying this back to the federal contract, like West Virginia, you know, again, we know we've been an energy state. We've got plenty of energy business. The tourism business is nice, but I don't think we should completely base our whole identity and economy around that because of the outline risk that I just put on there. So the attraction of that level of business, maybe the more federal contracting, the tech, the startup world that aren't necessarily tied to the physical characteristics of West Virginia, that but then can still scale and grow from here. If we can attract those types of businesses, that can complement and further diversify the economy. So we're not just completely an energy state and a tourism state, because if those if trends or economic macro environments change against those two things, we don't want our state to be completely tied to that and dominated by that, right? Um, so maybe any thoughts on that? Is that like a, a common, is that also a shared thought that like, is that what you mean maybe by economic diversity of getting businesses in here that are, that could be started anywhere, but they're all, but they're coming to West Virginia maybe because of the community resources and different things that are popping up in the state? Yeah, no, one hundred percent spot on. When it comes to to the to the you know economic diversity conversation, we have to look at at you know for for many years we were an extraction state, you know, offering our commodities and 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 so you know and, and look, let's let's embrace that as part of our history, right? Let's let's embrace it. We'll always embrace that, and I think we should. It's it's a part of our history, and it's it's you know endemic to our you know our culture. So, but that being said, we have to look at the future, right? And so as we're able to grow other industries, like, you know, for example, the tech industry, manufacturing is critical as well. We have seen growth. Um, our, our state manufacturing output uh, in 2010 was 6.3 billion. And in 2021, it was almost 8.5 billion. So when you think about there is some growth in manufacturing there, we need to continue that, right? We need to continue to, I think, look at uh, knowledge, you know, the knowledge sector, right? So being able to to not just be laborers like we have been for so many generations, right? But actually leading and being knowledge-based workers. And that's what's going to attract the Amazons and the Googles and, and, and a lot of these bigger companies. 
And we have very, very, very smart people in West Virginia. We have smart people. We have, I mean, my God, we've got, you know, we've got Brad Smith and we, we've got, you know, we've got so many people new, you know, Brad's recently newer to the state and people who have been around here for a long time are starting to bring some attention to West Virginia. So I think as we think about partnering with K-12, right, and, and community and technical colleges and higher education and building that ecosystem, you know, we really need to think about how we can overlay our industries with one another to drive that economic diversity. So I absolutely think, you know, and I'm obviously a big fan of the, of the tech sector. What, what tech allows us to do, particularly in now a, a remote society, if you will, is allows people to come to West Virginia, have a high quality of life, but provide their level of knowledge-based expertise to companies all across the world. And I think we really, really need to work on leveraging that that opportunity for ourselves. How do you further fertile the grounds to become a knowledge-based working state? You know, is that generations away? Is it bringing in people from out of state? Is it just making people in West Virginia more aware? I mean, do you have to improve the base education of our K through 12? And then you have to wait generations for it to kind of, you know, grow, you know, how do you kind of become fertile grounds for knowledge-based workers? That's really, I like that phrase. And that's a phrase that we haven't really used or discussed here on the podcast in particular, but I do like that idea of becoming a place that the Googles, the, the Amazons are coming to because they know that we are some of the most intellectually bright people in the world and in, in, in the country. And that's why they're coming here. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes it's it's uh, not to draw a hard line, but but you look at skills, and we have we have a lot of skills in West Virginia, but then we look at knowledge, right? So, and 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 there can be cross and should be cross contamination of uh, pollination, let's say, of, yeah. of the right. But at the end of the day, um, you know, skills evolve, and 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 that's great. But we, you know, I think personally, we want to attract companies to come here because we have the knowledge and the educational attainment. Right. Educational attainment is critical. I hear my friend uh, Jim Step, president of the High Tech Foundation, talk about educational attainment and how important that is. And if you look at West Virginia educational attainment, you know, where seven out of 10 adult West Virginians have less than a two year degree, you know, that makes it challenging for us to build up that knowledge based work sector that we're talking about. Right. And, and by the way, some of these larger companies, you know, that I, I mentioned and many others, they will oftentimes, you know, they can look to West Virginia uh, to hand, you know, to be able to provide resources, right, for certain parts of their company. You know, it doesn't have to be that it's all about all nothing, right? Yeah. So, so when I think about that, I, I realize that it's all of the things that you mentioned, but in particular, let me say, I think it's only a generation away. Yeah. Because some of these things are systemic to our culture. And if we can get our young people to just think differently about education and how it relates to quality of life and their own future and not looking at the past and, and repeating, you know, the past, again, embracing the strengths of our history, but moving forward. Right. So I, I think it's 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 only a generation away, but I think it is a collaboration of, look, you know, in my time sitting on the West Virginia State School Board, I came to know working across all 55 counties that, that if you don't get to a young person by the time they're in sixth grade and get them to thinking about their future, right, and their career and what that means to them and can mean to them for having a different quality of life than maybe they're experiencing now, if you don't get to them by then, 
it gets harder and harder to get them to understand and and clearly see that they can have a different life than yeah. than, than they've seen because um you know it you know what what impacts our career right is an experience not just the education but it's the experience what we see in front of us right yeah so i think partnering with you know with k12 linking that to career tech community colleges i i'm i'm going to say to you that and we know that our universities across the country are facing, you know, a decrease in enrollment in many cases for for four year degrees and above. But what we are seeing in, in growth is the community and technical college system. And so, when 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 this, you know, when we think about a mechanic today, isn't just a skilled mechanic, but they're a knowledge based mechanic. Yeah, they're working down here in Clarksburg for Pratt Whitney, working on engines for for you know airplanes. That's knowledge and skills. And if we can get our young people to understand and see a career path in those areas, then we have this knowledge-based sector that says to competitors to Pratt & Whitney, hey, you need to come to West Virginia because we have these skill sets. Yeah. And so I, I, I think when you think about chicken and the egg, you know, I, I really believe that we've got to build up the resources and then companies will come. Mm -hmm. yeah. I am bullish on that. I'm, I'm bullish on the community college, the apprenticeships, the certifications, like I think, I mean, and that's coming from someone who went four years at WVU, financed and the, did the MBA. I'm like the epitome of like the, all the degrees. Traditional education. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, but like you said, I mean, I think we're kind of seeing a culture in a business world that are even there's, even that's a little bit of a less emphasis now, even amongst roles that traditionally that was thought of as a absolute requirement, maybe just six, seven years ago. So the higher educational world is is changing and pivoting. And like you said, they pretty much nationally, I think colleges are facing enrollment issues because kids can look on, you can maybe give a self-education on YouTube damn near close to what you could maybe 10 years ago that you could get out of university. So I think West Virginians, if we're nimble enough and if our institutions and our organizations are flexible on that, and um, I, I think we have the opportunity yeah, to really lean into that and yeah, have a low cost of living environment to where you can get some of these certification degrees and knowledge-based work and then build a business here or start a career here and innovate here. Um, it's very practical to do that. It might seem insurmountable to try to do that in a downtown New York City when you're competing against tens of thousands, millions of other competitors, but it might be possible to do it in West Virginia. Um, yeah. Well, a, a conversation that we've had here and that does seem to be kind of picking up steam throughout the state is this idea of, of filling the world's needs, right? Fulfilling the needs of the world. I mean, that's something that Brad Smith at the AHC had talked about, but it's we've had that conversation here very often. And I do feel that West Virginia is finally catching back up to where it needs to be to once again be the people that are fulfilling the fulfilling the needs of the world and filling in those gaps. And so hopefully you're right. It is just a generation away. West Virginia has certainly gone through a massive lull of what feels like disappointment and uh, uh, just a lot of bad things over the last couple of decades. And I think, you know, there's no beating around the bush there, but I do feel like we're right on the cusp of kind of flipping and um, reshaping what West Virginia's image is going to be for the next five decades. And hopefully we are like, I think this is it. This is the movement. And then I think the next generation will be the ones that are kind of like really just off and rolling, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think when we started talking, I, I you know, I complimented you for challenging us as a state. And, and I think we have to challenge ourselves. I believe it was Darwin that said that it's not the strongest that survive. It's not the smartest that survive, but it's, it's that 
you know, civilization that is most adaptable to change that survives, right? Yeah. So, so we've got to be willing to adapt and again, embrace our history. And I, I say that, why, why do I say that? Because I, I, I've been told over the years as I've challenged other groups to, ch to change, I've been told that that's not sensitive to, to our, our culture and our history. And, and I learned from that, you know, I think I learned as a, as a human, a human from that. And, and so I always now say, let's embrace our history because that's makes us strong. That, that makes us who we are and how we got to where we are today. But at the same time, let's challenge ourselves, you know, right. To, to, to be stronger, to grow and to diversify, diversify thought, diversify ourselves, right. And be stronger together. That is important. I think that is a nuanced yeah. thing because that, that does run counter narrative to some West Virginians could be like, well, I don't want to change or that, you know, this is tradition. This is family. This is how it's always been, or this is how we always should be. And that could be a toxic mindset, you know, in, in some instances of life and society and work and your family, yes, honoring tradition and, you know, kind of just keeping things, I don't know, like, you know, not losing the culture of things of what they are. I mean, that people often maybe even overly romanticize and aspect of life of not changing and this is how it's always been done mentality but that does come at the cost of not willing to be open-minded and innovative and adaptive and flexible and we know that in reality those the latter is probably what will keep you an area a region a state a city alive for the future economy is if they are those things if they are adaptable flexible and that sort of thing i think the my short answer i guess is i think you can do both i think you can be a culture that appreciates its past can lean into the past. We call it leaning into your West Virginia values of resiliency and hard work and all these things that we've kind of, we've repeat that often on our socials and here on the pod is that if you do that, you tend to go far, but you have to have that little bit of nuance to it where it's not in a stubborn way to prevent yourself maybe from growing and evolving and changing. And I think if West Virginians do that, I think we'll end up in a better position than if, if we don't do that. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to point out an example and, and I, and this may not be popular to do, but just just an example where I think we can do better. When when we were planning the last Tech Yeah conference, I, I had a group I'm not going to mention who, but who's in the technology sector, and invited them to be a part of this this opportunity, and 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 they declined, and they said, "No, we're doing our own thing." And and I said, "Oh, you know, okay." It wasn't us, right? We weren't. No, not at all. <laughs> but but you know, I, I see I see that kind of thing occasionally, and and had that group shown up. They would have made contacts, you know, they would have, have been a part of the conversation and, but instead, you know, they declined to do that and that's their right to do that. But, but I think I've, I've seen little microcosms of that, you know, uh, and examples of that from time to time. And, and, you know, I, now I want to transition to a, a cult, you know, a, a, a group, a city, I'll, I'll focus on a city that has transformed itself while honoring its, its history and its roots. And that's Pittsburgh, um, not too far from where I live. Um, Bill Peduto, uh, who has West Virginia ties, uh, the brother of Guy Peduto and and uh, and Donna Peduto heads up our West Virginia Public Education Collaborative. Um, Bill was the mayor of Pittsburgh for for maybe 12 years, 10, 10, 10 8, 8, 10, 12 years, something like that. But several years. I might have that wrong. But he was the he was the uh, most recently there. They elected a new mayor, but he had been mayor. And I remember talking to him one time and I said, well, tell me, you know, how, how did how did you evolve Pittsburgh to, to be the healthcare mecca and now the tech mecca that it is yeah. from steel, right? West Virginia has coal, Pittsburgh has steel, right? So I, I, that's why I'm comparing, that's why I'm, I'm bringing this up. 
And uh, and he, he brought up something. He said, you know, for years when politicians, you know, had commercials, you'd see steel flying in the back. And in West Virginia, it's coal. And he said, but eventually, you know, they, they started getting away from that. And they recognized that they needed to have skyscrapers in the back and they needed to show the growth and the progress. And so now, you know, Pittsburgh has, has a, you know, in Bakery Square that where, where Forge actually is just now opening an office. I'm just announcing it on this podcast. So there we go. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thanks. But, but it, it, you know why we're, you know why we're in Bakery Square? Because Google's there. And so, you know, Google is investing. How do you think they got Google to invest in Pittsburgh? Well, because they changed, because they evolved, because they diversified their economy. They diversified their thinking. And so I, I hold them up to be an example. And we've done things like that in West Virginia too. But uh, but I bring that up. And if that burns someone a little bit and challenges them to do better, then that's the intent. It should. Yeah. I mean, I love that. And I, I think I've spoken, I forget who we were talking about Pittsburgh. And I have watched just in, in amazement and just, it's really cool to see them kind of pivot towards that, that tech sector. And a lot of it's branding, a lot of it's marketing, but a lot of that's important. And I think it's also important that we, that sometimes people, like, and I never want to act like it's like it's West Virginia or else, like, like as if we have these big borders around the state and you, ha- you have to do it here, build it here, 100% West Virginia made. Like, I, in reality, that's just kind of hyperbole, right? Like, if West Virginia, if we can benefit and collaborate and work with Columbus, which is also absolutely booming, just like Pittsburgh with IBM, like, I think a $20 billion investment, their economy is certainly financial, financials heavy, technology heavy, innovation heavy in Columbus. Pittsburgh doing the same. If we can grow the eastern panhandle of the state with the basically it's becoming a suburb of Washington, D.C. Some people don't like that. Some people will, you know, like you said, it'll burn some people the wrong way. I think there are pros and cons of that, of course. But if if we don't view West Virginia as an absolute be all and that it has to be this like 100 percent West Virginia ride or die or the business can't make it or won't do that. If we're a little bit more fluid with thinking of ourselves as an economic hub in area in Finding ways to like you, you all set up shop near Google investment. That's probably a wise choice because of like the, the influx. If they identified it as a good area to, to invest in, it's maybe not, not too bad to do as well. There's a certain hack in real estate. If you follow McDonald's, apparently McDonald's has like the best demographic research. So if you see a new McDonald's being built in an area, you should buy real estate in that area because you can trust that the McDonald's folks have done an economic analysis on that area and that they're confident in its growth. So maybe we can do similar things with Pittsburgh and Columbus and that sort of thing. If you can be an ancillary business or if you can capitalize on it or help, you know, pull your West Virginia connection to it, that is going to lift the whole economic region. And that's good for all of us in the, you know, the Northern Appalachian region it's not just perfectly west yeah. virginia you know I, I, it's a good point about mcdonald's you don't see too many mcdonald's going out of business no uh, you know you don't drive by too many store books right right you don't drive by too many and say oh there used to be a mcdonald's there <laughs> it just <laughs> this doesn't happen very often um you know i i want to you know mention something else you know and, and i think there are other companies like us you know forge is a small company but if we only did business in west virginia we would have gone out of business during the pandemic and we'd be closed. And now we have clients in Texas and California and Pennsylvania and and Washington, D.C. and New York and and West Virginia. And the good thing is that we're still in business, right? The other thing is I take a lot of pride when, when we invoice clients in Texas and so forth, we charge them West Virginia sales tax, right? 
So, so I, I feel like, you know, if, if companies can, you know, yes, it's great to be headquartered here. Let's hire people. Let's develop talent and a strong workforce here and let's invest in West Virginia, but let's be collaborative across the borders, right? It'll help us grow. If we can attract business and clients from out of, out of the state and even hire people from around the country, it'll only strengthen what's within our own borders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No reason. Yeah, I love, small love that distinction. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, well Frank, as we kind of wrap things up here, anything else that you'd like to share, promote, look at any of the cameras that you choose and tell us what you're doing. Yeah, I just think, uh, uh, I, I will say that, that, you know, as a personal, you know, thing, if anyone can help support the veteran entrepreneurship community here in West Virginia, that's going to help all of us. So I always put a, put a little play out to do that, but also just let's collaborate, you know, let's thank you for what you're doing. Let's celebrate one another. Let's celebrate our milestones, our achievements, our victories. Let's keep doing that and let's spread it out across the state and collaborate better north to south, east to west. And let's work together. And thank you for being the tie that binds. You know, thank you uh, for for bringing us together. Let's keep doing that. Um, I think, again, if we can all row in the same direction, we're better together. Um, I, I believe that Aristotle said, you know, uh, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And so if we can work as a whole and operate as a whole, we're going to do much better. Absolutely love it, Frank. And you're one of those West Virginians. We're honored to have you on because I think you're leading the way. And uh, a lot of folks have uh, looked up to you and worked with you. And um, it's a great honor to have you on the podcast and keep doing what you're going. We'll see you out there, man. Thank you.